0: 14 to 20 After John was put in prison Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God The time has come he said the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen Come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people At once they left their nets and followed him When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with their hired men and followed him. This is God's word. Some of you may know that right now we're in a season called Lent, and historically Lent is a time where Christians and churches do some self-examination and self-reflection. And so it's a really good time, if you're interested in that sort of thing, to take a look at the biblical doctrine of repentance. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, to think about repentance, what it is and why it matters. Now, I know that some of you have been part of churches for a long time. You've heard the word repentance before. And I hope over the next couple of Sundays to show you why repentance is so important. Others are new to church, you're new to exploring Christianity, and the very idea of repentance, if you've ever even heard of it, might sound kind of strange to you. But here's what I hope to show you. Repentance, according to the Bible, is the pathway to joy. God invites us to repent because he longs for our joy. And for all of us, if you've ever been a pers- around a person who knows how to repent really well, that person is a beautiful soul. Someone who knows how to repent is a person that you want to be close to. And so for all of us, repentance is a, it's a skill, it's a characteristic, it's an art and spiritual life that we can press into to experience fullness of joy and beautiful wholeness in our lives. So today's sermon, as we look at Mark chapter 1, will be kind of an introduction. And then over the next few weeks, we'll be drilling down into certain aspects of what biblical repentance is all about. We'll do that leading up to Easter, all right? So today, Mark chapter 1, let me show you three things in this great passage. First, we're going to talk about the kingdom. Then second, we're going to talk about repentance. And then third, the king. So kingdom, repentance, and the king. Let's take a look. First, the kingdom. Come with me, if you would, to verse 15. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's just starting out. And he says in verse 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. According to Jesus, the reason why a person should repent is because the kingdom of God has come near. So if we're going to understand repentance, if we're going to be a people who practice repentance, it's going to be first because we understand something about the kingdom. So let's just try to define for a moment what's a kingdom. Well, there was an old Christian scholar called Dallas Willard, and he wants to find the kingdom, the kingdom of God, like this. He said, "The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. It's the place where what God wants done. Is done. You say, well, that's a little abstract. Well, he was a philosopher, so let me simplify it for us. If you carry around a backpack, some of you have backpacks this morning, that backpack is your kingdom. It's the place where what you want done is done. The stuff that you want in your backpack is there, it's in the specific pockets that you desire. And if someone just reaches into your backpack and starts moving things around, it feels like a violation because you're the king of that kingdom. And in that space, the range of your effective will, what you want to happen, is what takes place. Now, that's a kingdom. And the Bible says that God's kingdom are the places or the spaces where what he wants done is done. So heaven is God's kingdom right now. Heaven is the place where everything God wants happens perfectly, but this is where there's a tension because on earth, you and I, the lived experience of our lives, you could describe it as a tension of kingdoms or a battle between kingdoms where on one hand, what we experience is God's invitation to be part of his kingdom And on the other hand, the tension and the pull to build our own kingdoms where we live for self. And so every single day, you and I are living in between a battle of kingdoms. On one hand, building a kingdom for self, pursuing our own interests and values. And on the other hand, this call or this invitation to be part of God's kingdom. And again, this is the battle the tension that you live in every single day. For example... The way you use your words, the way you speak to people, reveals the battle of kingdom. On any given day, you have a choice. You can use your words to build other people up, to encourage and to contribute to people's wellness and wholeness. Or you can use your words to cut other people down and to be self-protective, to slander and to gossip as a way to build up your own reputation. The way you use your words is kingdom directed (laughs) towards your own kingdom, your own self, or God's kingdom and God's values. How about work? Most of us spend most of our time working. Sometimes that work is paid. It might be not paid, like at-home parents. But every day as we go out into the world and we work, we're pursuing a kingdom. You see, many people use their job or their vocation to do what? To build a identity for themselves, To get meaning and purpose in life, ultimately. And so we work hard, not because we love the work, but because we're trying to cover voids and gaps in our own heart. We're trying to fill ourselves with meaning. And so we're using our work to build our own kingdom. To help ourselves feel better. And there's another way to work, which is to do the same jobs, the same things, but to do so Not to gain an identity, but from an identity. Where we do the work because we love the work and because we're interested in helping others and serving and contributing wholeness in the world. Our work is kingdom directed. Towards self or towards God's kingdom. One more example. Sexuality. When we use sex in ways that is all about self-expression and self-satisfaction. We've taken something that God has made and we've devoted it to our own kingdom. But there's another way to think about sex and sexuality, which is according to God within the context of marriage, to be used to give yourself to your spouse and to build a covenant. You see, sex itself, kingdom directed for self, for self-fulfillment or self-giving shaped by God's word. We could go on and on, but can you begin to see throughout our life every single day, whether the words you use, your work, your relation, we're all pursuing kingdoms. And the tension that we live in is to say today, are we going to be focused on God's kingdom or are we focused on our kingdom? Are we advancing God's kingdom in the world or are we pursuing our own? Now, by the way, every single Sunday when we gather here, We pray a prayer. It's always on the screen, the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, what's one of the things that we say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what that is? That's every single Sunday as we gather asking God, not bring your kingdom into existence. It's already there. But it's saying to God, help us be aligned with your kingdom. May your kingdom come into the parts of our lives and the places in our city where it's not yet present. And may it be more fully demonstrated in the orbit of our life. See, every day we live in this battle of kingdoms and we're taught to pray, God, may your kingdom come into how I use my words and into how I work and into my relationships and into every part of my life. That's the kingdom. The place where what God wants done is done, where his values Are shaping reality. So here's the next thing we want to ask. How does that relate to repentance? Because Jesus says the kingdom has come. So now's the time to repent. And here's what I need you to see. This is if you would a definition of repentance. Repentance. In light of what we've just said. Is not mere behavior modification. Like wow that's a bad behavior. I should stop that. That might be included in repentance. But if we're thinking about repentance in light of the kingdom, then repentance can't be just changing bad behaviors. It has to be instead whole life reorientation. It's the total direction of our lives being changed from building our own kingdoms for self to pursuing God's kingdom and aligning with his values. And what I love about Mark chapter 1 is that we get a picture of repentance in action. That here in these verses, we actually get to see people repenting. Although at first, it might not look like it. So look with me if you get at the story. Verse 15, Jesus says, the kingdom has come, repent, believe the good news. But now look at verse 16. We get to see this unfold. It says, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And then verse 19, when he, Jesus, had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. So without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat and they, with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, chances are that when you read that story, you don't initially think of repentance. You think of Jesus as calling some people to follow him. And that would be a mistake. <laughs> because remember what repentance is. It's not just changing behavior. It's switching kingdoms. It's going from a life devoted to self to a life lived in pursuit of Jesus. And if that's true, then that means repentance always consists of two things, which is right here in our passage. When you repent, you're always leaving something behind and you're always following Jesus. In a nutshell, that's what repentance is, leaving something behind and following Jesus. And in verse 18, we see that. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and it says they leave their nets and they followed him. Those nets would have been their career, their job, their financial security. But when Jesus calls, they leave that and they follow him. And then later Jesus comes to James and John and he says, follow me. And it says they leave their father, which in that culture for some of you come from cultures like this. In that culture, to leave father wasn't just like, Dad, I'm moving. It was a big deal. It was a kind of turning your back on the family business. It was to step away from inheritance and to risk shame and losing status. And Jesus says, follow me. And they leave their family to follow Jesus. And that's repentance. It's always leaving something behind and turning to and following Jesus. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would put it this way. He would use language of putting off and putting on. Repentance is always putting off something and putting on something new. So let me read to you. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former self, the old way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Whatever language you prefer, leaving, following, put off, put on, turning from one kingdom to God's kingdom. That's repentance in action. So it's not just behavior, though behavior is included, but it's actually a whole heart posture. To say no longer am I living for self and my own kingdom. I'm living for God and his kingdom. And friends I hope you can begin to see. That if that's what repentance is. Then repentance is not something you do once when you start the Christian life. It's something that you do every single day. Because John Calvin was right. When he said the human heart is an idol-making factory. Your heart, mine too, is an idol-making factory. And every single day, there's something that's competing for God's attention in my life. It could be a person. It could be a job. It could be a sin, a behavior that I'm not proud of. It could be a range of things. But every single day, something is vying for God's place in my life. And repentance is about turning, leaving, putting off whatever it is that God is being challenged by in my life. Now, hear me very carefully. Is family bad? You know, James and John, they leave family. Or Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets, their career. Are those things bad? No, (laughs) they're good things. The point of my sermon today is to say, quit your job and leave your family. Not at all. If you hear that, you've misheard me. But here's what happens. You know that you can take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing. Where even good things become so important to us that they take the place of God in our life. And we use even good things like family or jobs to get from God an identity that are from those things. An identity that only God is able to give. Repentance today doesn't mean quit your job. It means, is Jesus the most important thing in your job? Repentance doesn't mean leaving your family. It means, is Jesus the most important thing in your family? It's a whole new way of thinking about the purpose of life. What kingdom are you pursuing? Our hearts are idol-making factories, so repentance is something that we have to do every single day. And let me just press in here a little bit more. Sometimes I talk to people and they say something like, Yeah, you know, I just got to, I'm just here to have a good time. I'll check out religion later, but I'm just, you know, right now I'm doing my thing. I'll get to God later. Can I just impress upon you? If you feel like that, if you feel like right now, religion is part of your life and following Jesus is sort of thing in your life, but not the main thing. Can I just say today is the day to repent like right now? You notice when James and John and then Simon and Andrew, when Jesus calls them, it says, at once they left their nets. Verse 20, without delay, they followed him. Like today is the day to repent, to switch kingdoms, to say to God, not my will, but yours be done. And here's why. There's a lovely little book on repentance by Thomas Watson called The Doctrine of Repentance. And in that book towards the beginning, Watson says this tomorrow may be our dying day. So let today be our repenting day. Tomorrow may be our dying day. So let today be our repenting day to switch kingdoms and to turn to Jesus. You could do that not a moment too soon. That's what repentance is. And for some of you today, you've turned good things into ultimate things. There's stuff happening in your life. They're good things, but they've taken the ascendancy. They've become too primary. And repentance for you today means giving that over to God and saying, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to work, but God, I want you to be the most important thing in my life. And I'm willing to give you this. For others, there are things in your life today that you are doing that you know you ought not to be doing things you're ashamed of, things that the Bible would call sin, areas in your life where you're flatly disobeying God, and you know that you are. And today is a day for repenting. Today is a day to bring whatever that is to God and to watch his unrivaled mercy wash over you. Today is the repenting day. But here's the question, and some of you are thinking, okay, well, I see what the kingdom is. I get what repentance is, but why? Like, why why does it matter? Why should I listen to you? Why should repentance be part of my life? Why can't I just have these things that I pursue and have a little Jesus over here? Here Here's why. Because Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just a moral example. He's the king. And the king is calling you to repent. Verse 15. The kingdom has come near because Jesus has come. What made the kingdom of God come near? The very fact that Jesus came into the world. A kingdom has to have a king. And so when Jesus says in verse 15, the kingdom has come, what he's basically saying is, I've come. So now's the time to repent. And you can begin to see how this works in the passage. When Jesus walks up to Simon and Andrew or James and John, he says to them very simply, follow me. Now, they're at their jobs. They're with family. Imagine if I walked into a restaurant after our service today and I walked up to people that I don't know and I said, hi, follow me. They would look at me like I'm beside myself and they would be right. But when Jesus does that... Like if tomorrow you're at work and somebody comes up to you and says, follow me, unless they're your boss, you would say, why? But when Jesus says, follow me, they do because the king has come. And see, many of us, many of you, you like the idea of Jesus as an accessory in your life. Like you think, wow, Jesus, great, like a very high functioning executive assistant who's going to help my life be better than it was the day before. And we relate to Jesus like he can contribute valuable things to help us achieve our own goals and agendas. There was a woman years ago called Barbara Boyd who gave a talk, a Bible study. It was called Her Lordship Talk. And she would always give some example like this. She would say something like, right now, you know, maybe... (laughs) that the sun is at the very center of our solar system. And she says the distance between earth and the sun is 93 million miles. So that distance, if you try to comprehend it, is like this. If you got in your car and you drove at 65 miles per hour without stopping ever, it would take you 163 years to get from earth to the sun. And she says, that's relatively close. But if you got in your car and you wanted to drive to Pluto, which is at the very edge of our solar system, that same journey would take you 6,500 years without stopping (laughs) to get petrol. And then she says, and that's just our solar system. And scientists estimate that there are 200 billion trillion stars in the world, in the universe, excuse me. She says, you can't comprehend the size of that, the enormity of that. And then she says, you know, Hebrews chapter one says, Jesus, the king holds the universe together by the word of his power. Planets spin and galaxies exist because Jesus says so. That's what's happening in our universe. And then Barbara Boyd looks at the audience and she says, you don't invite someone like that to be your personal assistant. If someone like that exists, that's the king. And you bow the knee. So why repent? Because the Bible's claim is that Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just an example. He is the king. And he's calling you. But it's not just that he's king. You see, he's a king unlike any other king. Because in verse 15, this king... Is proclaiming good news. You see this king is bringing gospel. That's what the word phrase good news literally is. It's gospel. And the reason you should repent today. The reason why you should switch kingdoms. The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. Is because Jesus and Jesus alone came into the world to bring good news. And what we want to do now as I close. Is I just want to tell you what that good news is. Some of you have heard it before. Some of you, this might be brand new. But I want to take just a few minutes this morning and say, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And the reason you should repent is because there's no news like it. Four things. First, good news. You can have a way to be made right with God. You see, Jesus comes into the world not just to say, this is how to find God going, good luck. Jesus comes into the world to say you can never get to God but guess what I'm God come to you. And Jesus in his dying on the cross creates a way he repairs and reconciles a relationship so that you can have sin forgiven and be restored into a living vital friendship and relationship with God himself. Jesus came into the world to do what we can never do for ourselves or on our own bring us back to God. And second not just did he come to make away with relating to God, but second, Jesus came to defeat the great enemy. You see, the Bible says that you and I, we have an enemy of our soul, sometimes called the evil one, sometimes called the devil, the one who's hell bent on destroying your life with lies and with accusations and with slander. That's his whole purpose. And it's not too much to say that the devil or the evil one is like the real Sauron. Or the real Voldemort. Or the real fill in the blank of your supervillain of real evil. Like that enemy is out there. And Jesus came to crush him. And the Bible says that that crushing has already begun. Because when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, the enemy's days were numbered. And his power was limited. The enemy that's done so much havoc in the world is being crushed. And will one day be gone forever. You can have a relationship with God. The enemy has been defeated. Third aspect of good news. Jesus says you can have life to the full. Sometimes people think that Christianity is a killjoy. Like God's giving commands to restrict your freedom. No, no, no. Christianity is all about the commands that bring you freedom. And God says I command you to be holy. Because I want you to be happy. Because in my presence is fullness of joy. And every time you choose to obey God, even though it might feel like a death, it's always death like the planting of a seed, which can only lead to life and fruitfulness. So Jesus says, I want you to follow me, not just because I need you to, but because I want you to have fullness of life. I want you to experience joy and abundance. And then fourth aspect of good news, one day everything sad is going to come untrue. In your life and our world, there's plenty of suffering. But remember, the gospel says that Jesus didn't just die, he defeated death. And when he defeated death, that was the beginning of new creation. It was the beginning of a whole new chapter in cosmic history in which everything sad starts coming untrue. And if you're a Christian, the best is yet to come. If you're a Christian, the best is yet to be. And that future hope and promise is meant to flood into your present to lift you because there is real suffering in our world. But you are never without hope if you're a follower of Jesus. So why should you repent? Because the king is calling you and this king alone has good news. And so today there's an invitation. Let this be our repenting day. Let this be the day where we turn from the kingdom of self, whatever that means, to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help to do that right now as we respond to him. Our God, thank you for Mark chapter 1 and this introduction into the topic of repentance. So as we explore and respond and, and just think about what this means for us today. We pray for the power of your spirit to be poured out on us. We pray that you would help us to repent today, right now, that we would turn from whatever kingdom we're building for ourselves, whatever things we're using for ourselves, and that we would turn to Jesus, that we would allow his gracious rule to be poured out in our life. Help this to be our repenting day. We pray in Jesus' name and for for his glory, amen.